Hi, friends. Welcome to the Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walk by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. Thanks so much for listening today. My guest for this episode is Michael Miller. Michael is the pastor of Reclamation Church in Denver, Colorado, and he's a frequent co-host on the Remnant Radio YouTube channel. We talked about how he went through an incredibly challenging firing from a church that he pastored and how he endured the loss of most of his community. He spoke candidly of the lasting effects of this, but his continual assurance is always in God's faithfulness. So here is my interview with Michael Miller. Michael, thanks so much for joining me today on the Faithful Podcast. I am so excited for what we're going to talk about. Um, I'm just honored that I get to have a guest from out of town, but in yeah. person. <laughs> thanks for coming on tonight. Yeah. Um, so, Michael, I want you to tell us, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to these days. Sure. Um, a little bit about myself. Where, where would you like me to start? Like, what am I uh, doing today? Or? Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe not like at childbirth, but, you know, just... Sure. Yeah. A little bit about uh, what you do for work and your family. and Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, I live in Denver, Colorado. I pastor a church called Reclamation. Uh, they're actually having a church meeting right now, and uh, I, I'm, I'm missing it. Uh, and I wish I could hear my buddy Ben preach, because he's an amazing teacher. Yeah. Uh, I got two kids, a uh, four-year-old and a two-year-old, my, my son, uh, Archer, and my daughter, Avery, um, and my wife, Sarah. We've been married for seven and a half years. We'll celebrate our eighth anniversary oh, in August, awesome. uh, and we're going on vacation on the 27th, going to Hawaii. Uh, pretty stoked about that. Um, I don't know what else to say. I, I love living in Colorado, and I'm never leaving again. That's kind of... <laughs> never leaving Colorado. No, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Are you a pretty outdoorsy person? Uh, semi outdoorsy. Yeah. I, I mean, when I grew up in Texas, I hated being outdoors. It was so hot it's here. Hot. Yeah. yeah. I don't. <laughs> but in Colorado, I don't mind it so much. I'm like happy to be out there, and I love having dinners on my patio with my family and things like that. I just all right, all right. You yeah, have to I know you can be jealous. Yeah. And that's fine. <laughs> we had like a few weeks that were fairly comfortable lately, and I was like, oh, this is good. And then it starts getting the humidity really kicks in, and yeah, you're in like monsoon season right yeah. now. Yeah, so it's. It's, it may start storming in the middle of all this. I've been checking yeah. the weather throughout the day, so we'll see how that all goes. Mm-hmm. But um, So I want you to tell us how you came to know Jesus. How I came to know Jesus. Yeah. Uh, well, that's kind of an interesting thing. So uh, I, I was, my family's a little religiously mixed. My uh, mom is Jewish. Dad was Mormon. Yeah. Uh, that isn't yeah, a combination you don't Very come across confusing. every day. It's like, what am I supposed to believe here? I yeah. Um, and then when I was 15, I would have said I was an atheist. Parents divorced when I was about a year old, and uh, you know, dad didn't pay child support, married another woman, mm. four kids or six kids. And so we, my mom raised four kids on her own for the most part. And uh, we had grandparents and an uncle that were super supportive and helpful and involved. And mm-hmm. my brother was about nine years older than me, and so he sort of took it upon himself to, to raise me up to be a man. And, oh. Um, uh, and then when I was 15, a friend of mine that I used to party with, uh, came back from a choir trip and had become a Christian. Oh, wow. And so, okay. yeah. So he gave me a Bible that had the Psalms and the Proverbs and the New Testament. And, uh, that's all okay. I, that's all I had. That was, that yeah. was the Bible in my eyes. I didn't know there was an Old Testament. 
And so I'd sort of memorize some of the Psalms because I thought girls will find this very impressive. And then, uh, and then I would read the gospel of Matthew. And um, that's actually what kind of won me over, I would say. Uh, I just, I liked the way that Jesus did things. Okay. Like the, the things he would say about forgiving people. And that was not my upbringing. We didn't forgive. Like we held grudges and I was yeah. very good at that. And, um, and so I, I used to hide the Bible in my desk and when everybody would go to bed, I would get it out and I would start reading it. And that was sort of the beginning of the end for me. Um, got super discipled in young life, got really involved in a youth group. Uh, still, those some of those people from those days are my best friends to this day. Wow. Um, and and then, yeah, I did a lot of young life and uh, awesome. had, a, had a mentor right out of uh, college named Jack Deere. He taught me a lot about the gifts of the Spirit and things like that and did some traveling with him and and actually, that's what brought me down here to Houston this mm-hmm. week. So that's cool. Um, so really, just reading God's word is like a huge part of what what yeah. got your attention. That's I mean that that seems so basic, but it's also like His word goes out, doesn't return void. But so often we think we have to have a flashy message with it, or we have to have something to draw these teenagers in. But yeah, well, I, I mean, I may be the anomaly on that. Yeah. Uh, you got to realize, I thought it was a book of spells. Like I, I literally didn't know what a Bible was. <laughs> so when I read it, wow. I, I was a big fan of sci-fi mm-hmm. and big fan of fantasy and things like that. And so when I read it, I thought, yeah, but this is supposed to be true. Yeah. Like, and so, uh, and I, I was just fascinated. It was so polar opposite. I mean, you really could as a, as a young man and all you know is your own selfish ways mm-hmm read the gospel and go, but that's a way that I've never seen before and I want to live like that. Yeah. And so that was sort of the beginning of the end, just this idea of following the way of Jesus, which is a very biblical concept. I didn't know that's what it was called back then, but yeah. that's what drew me. And you mentioned like hiding the Bible. Do you feel like there was like, you were just nervous about what your family might say? Or? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, my mom, she literally said when I was hanging out with those kind of friends of mine that were believers, she was like, now don't become all religious on me. And uh, I mean, she meant well, but you got to realize, you know, parents divorced, dad was Mormon. And so there's a religion that she experienced that that very much hurt her. And so um, that was sort of my thinking is like, this is not good. I shouldn't let her know that I actually am becoming religious. Uh, And, 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 you know, obviously. Not in the pharisaical necessarily way, but in the, I want to follow Jesus way. Yeah, so that's that's kind of how I, I got into the faith, and um, there was no looking back. I, I could have honestly told you as a 15-year-old that if I was running my own life, following my own way, I would end up in a gutter one day. Wow. Uh, I, I knew that pretty clearly. I was depressed, uh, and I remember like you know going to bed at night and crying and just feeling so lonely and not knowing why. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and a lot of that stuff, like coming to Christ didn't suddenly fix a lot of it. I mean, counseling yeah. certainly helped later yeah. in life and uh, on and off throughout life. But mm-hmm. um, but there was something to Jesus's way that I really loved. And, uh, and you know, several years through all this, um, coming to the conclusion that not only is he, did he die on the cross for my sins, but he's also good and he really loves me. Like those were huge mm-hmm. things for me um, and, and were barriers in my walk, like really learning to, to go, oh, he really is good. That's not just something you say. So I can just talk, by the way. You just Yeah, no, I'll, no, I'll no, that's really good. I was just thinking like for someone who feels so lonely, like yeah. how, 
the message of Jesus, like that, you know, you are welcomed and you are loved and um, that, you know, come follow me sort of thing, even though you don't have anything special about you, this message of, you know, calling these everyday fishermen, basically, you know, these regular guys to become fishers of men. And I don't know, I just, I can see how that could be so transformational in that way. Yeah. Well, and and to be fair, I had had Christian friends, like all of my buddies that went to the church that I started going to, uh, they all sort of really came into their own owning of their faith at that age as well. Mm. And so we used to, we used to have Bible studies before school and devotionals. We'd meet in our physics teacher's classroom and we weren't like the dorky kids that were dorky mm-hmm. Christian kids. We were uh, semi-popular Christian kids, so yeah. uh, which sounds like an oxymoron, right? Yeah. Popular Christian kids? <laughs> what? I didn't know um, this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, but but we were, you know, we were nominated for various things like yeah. homecoming king and, yeah. and prom king, and um, but we we saw it as our personal mission to represent Christ to our friends in high school, and so. Uh, I just had this group of friends um, that was, uh, again, to this day, we're still best friends and mm. super thankful for that. I mean, that is that is pretty strange. It like is totally strange. It's not normal. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome, though. I mean, to have the to know that calling on your life at such a young age and to be so certain and to be blessed with friends that that want to see you succeed. Like that's that's such a that's such a gift from the Lord. Um, so I want to hear about how you started to feel called to ministry. Called to ministry. I don't, people talk about getting a calling to ministry. Yeah. I don't remember having a calling to ministry. Okay. So what made you think I should maybe apply for this job at a, in a various ministerial capacity, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Well, honestly, it was more just like as a 15 year old, I gave my life to Christ mm-hmm. and there was nothing else. Oh, okay. That was it. Um, Ministry is just all I knew because I was doing ministry in high school. Like it, mm-hmm. from day one, uh, wow. I started leading Bible studies, and and that that's kind of a strange thing for a brand new believer. And I, I think the Lord gave me a capacity to understand the scriptures on some level. Not that I was really great at exegeting, but um, <laughs> what high schooler is? <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. Um, but yeah, that was it for me. I just didn't. I just thought this is what I want to do the rest of my life. I want to tell people about Jesus, and I want to know Jesus. And and so, young life was sort of uh, the avenue that I went down. And um, and then in college, you know, I had a sort of an experience with the Holy Spirit that uh, that helped me embrace the idea that that relational evangelism was not the only way to evangelize. Like there's such a thing as power and, and miracles that God wants to use to let people know that he loves them and that he's good and he's still interacting with the world today. And so uh, that that discovery led me out of young life and, and led me to Jack Deere. And so, um, and I've gone in and out of ministry over the years. Like I taught mm-hmm. mathematics for about five years uh, okay, while cool. I was volunteering at the church and running various ministries. And then, yeah, so it was just sort of always, yeah, that was it's it. so like knit into the, fiber of who you are, basically, yeah, yeah, that yeah. it's going to come out in some way. Um, so several years ago, you were working at a, a church, and um, it was part of a larger denomination, and you went through some really good stuff, and you went through some really challenging stuff. So I just want to hear about um, this experience and just kind of let you share as you desire, because um, I've I've been able to we we got to have dinner together we got to chat yeah. before all this so um, I've been able to hear some but I want you to kind of let our listeners just sort of 
you know, begin to experience sure. this with you. Yeah. So um, in 2010, uh, I was I was with Jack Deere at his church and um, really felt like I, it was time for me to do something different. And uh, I was thinking about going to a school of ministry. I, I was thinking about a lot of things. And I met a person that was, as soon as I met that person, I knew this this guy is a born leader, mm-hmm. uh, incredibly gifted and dynamic. And, and I just thought, man, that this guy's going to launch something. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me about him uh, and about a ministry that he would start in the city and if he is willing to do it, I was supposed to do it with him. Although I was too scared, I was sort of holding those cards close to the chest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I was afraid maybe he wouldn't want me mm-hmm. to be a part of whatever it is that he's doing. And um, and then one day I, I, I did meet with him and I told him the what I felt like the Lord showed me, not about me joining him, but just mm-hmm. about the ministry that he would start. And uh, he and his wife told me how how that's kind of spot on. Like I was using word for word phrases that only the two of them would use when they were by themselves. And so uh, we kicked that off in in 2010. I started meeting out of their apartment and then got a facility in in an uptown area. Mm -hmm. And then um, I immediately started seeing pretty amazing things happen. Um, Saw a number of deaf ears get healed and just sort of seeing like, Wow, this is God seems like he's really up to something, and you know, there's this, uh, you know, probably because I, I grew up in a broken home. On some level, there was always sort of a fantasizing of like the most ideal on anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I was horrible at dating, and because I would romanticize what it was like to oh, to be okay. in a relationship, and it, and it never worked out that way. And yeah. I always felt really foolish and and yeah, real people fall yeah, short. Yeah, yeah, totally right. <laughs> when I, I probably watched too many. Uh, movies as a kid, you know, like <laughs> Sixteen Candles and, yeah. and Breakfast Club, and like those kind of movies that all have this sort of romantic element in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I, I think I did that with this community as well, and just thought, man, this is it. We finally stumbled on to the the thing that God is doing, right? Yeah, you you're the, you're in the right spot. Yes, yeah. yes. Not just am I in the right spot, but everybody else is foolish for not being in this right <laughs> spot, and and there was, a, you know, a little bit of uh, pride in that, yeah. I would say. Um, and, and we were also heavily being impacted by a certain school of, of thinking, um, specifically when it came to like the fivefold gifts out of Ephesians 4 and, okay. and how that is really, you have to have that in your upper echelon of leadership. Can in you order explain to get, that a little bit just in case somebody listens? Yeah, to sure. So, so um, there was a book written by a guy named Danny Silk called Culture of Honor. It's mm-hmm. uh, if you're familiar with Bethel and that world. Mm-hmm. And that book was incredibly influential just in a general sense. But um, specifically the uh, I don't know if I don't know if I'm accurately representing Danny and Bethel, but yeah. this is certainly how we interpreted it. So okay. uh, keep that in mind. Um, I've never actually sat down and talked with Danny Silk about his mm-hmm. book that he wrote, but um, so when we read that, what we took away from it was that in order to get as much of God today and a much of as much of what God wants to do on the earth today through a church, you have to have this kind of structure that they're espousing in this book, or at least what we thought they were espousing in this mm-hmm. book. That being, you know, you have to have the five gifts uh, that are mentioned in Ephesians 4, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher as your upper echelon of leaders. 
and that uh, specifically the apostle and the prophet have to be at the very top. So that way, because they're the ones who get the vision of God uh, for the church in that area you're in. And if you get that vision and you have those fivefold there in the uh, sort of the head ecclesiology in the church, then you'll get all of heaven. And if you don't have all this, you know, the implications is guess what you're not going to get, right? So again, I don't think Danny would ever say that. And I think, you know, if uh, Danny, I'm not on first name basis with him, but if I met him, I imagine he wouldn't say that. He wouldn't feel right about that. But I I do think that's a message that most people get when they Mm -hmm. read that book. And we certainly did. And so that's the ecclesiology we sort of created um, in the church. And, you know, for the first few years, it was actually really wonderful. Like there was a lot of fun stuff happening, Mm -hmm. um, people getting saved uh, um, and miracles happening and people discovering their gifts and beginning to walk in them. And and I made a lot of great friends in that season. So. Well, I mean, that's that's what we're all looking for is like a place to belong yeah. and, you know, seeing God move. Sure. Like, I think that's pretty natural. But at some point you started to notice some problems sure. with this. And as you described that fivefold, I'm kind of seeing where that could be an issue is, you know, if you don't have this, then this is a problem. But um, what were some of the problems that you started to notice and how did you respond to that? Uh, so, see, that's a hard question to answer because there's a lot of things like, when did I see these problems? I don't know because I kind of look back on it. And, you know, when you yeah. you have hindsight, you go, wait, there were problems all along the way. Mm-hmm. I just didn't necessarily see that back then. Yeah. And, I mean, and, and my own problems in the midst of it mm-hmm. and the very fact that I would sort of sign up for something like this and, you know, what in my psychology allows me to, to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I what I what what happened was, um, the church started to really grow and we planted two other churches outside of that one. Well, three actually. Yeah. And, um, and when the music that we, that the church had produced really took off, I mean, one of the songs was up for a Grammy and, wow. um, Gosh. yeah, yeah, it was, that's a big deal stuff. Yeah. It's a big yeah. deal. Right. And so people were coming from all over the world to come and check out this church. People were watching the videos on YouTube and they were getting millions of hits and, um, suddenly the church just ballooned and blew up mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you think you're right at the center of God's will and all of this and what God is doing on the earth. You think you've suddenly mm-hmm. latched onto the mag- magic formula and the, the shift started to happen where like, I found myself more and more on the outside of leadership, yeah. more and more on the outside of making decisions for the direction of the church. Well, I mean, I say direction, I mean, like how we, how we did church, how we took care and pastored people and the kinds of things we were teaching. And um, I found my own level of authority in there being stripped. And so uh, I don't know if I'm explaining that super well, but um, I started to see friends of mine getting hurt. Yeah. And that, that bothered me. And when I would hear about, like they would leave. And then when I would hear their, the, the story of why they left, behind closed doors, it was like, oh, that person wasn't getting the vision uh, of the church. That was the story you were hearing from leadership about why they left? Yes, the the apostolic leader at the top. Like that's what he was saying. Uh, That person really just didn't get the vision. They weren't a team player. Uh, God was just calling them elsewhere. And when I would hear that, I was like, wait, that person doesn't get the vision? Okay, well, if they don't get it, then I don't get it either. 
Because I thought I thought we were building this fivefold thing, and that mm. guy was one of those fivefold leaders. Yeah, yeah, he was sort of the prophetic guy of the bunch that kind of see mm. like what God was doing in the city. And uh, I, I feel silly saying that today because I don't even believe that stuff anymore. But, mm. but that is that is what I thought. Yeah. And then I, I personally was experiencing some hurt. I felt like a lot of the leadership decisions that were being made and how people were being appointed into certain positions usually had to do with, you know, proximity to that main apostle. So like if they were close friends with that guy okay. or uh, if that guy got a prophetic word, then that's what put them in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking at one of the main leaders of one of our churches and going, that guy's not ready for that position. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's in his mid twenties. Like mm-hmm. th- that guy shouldn't be leading a church. Um, but you but, can't question that. Yeah, you're not. You're not. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, hey, bro, this is the word I got from the Lord. Yeah. And I I hear from the Lord. I get the vision from God, and so it's up to me to make those decisions. Such a hard place. Yeah, and I had thought that we had created sort of a plurality, but we just weren't calling it the elders. We were calling it, you know, the fivefold, right? Okay. Um. And I, you know, maybe I was just fooling myself on some level because I could see that's really not what we were. But the language wasn't there. Like, there was never really honesty about that. Um, and so it really just became one person at the top. And that person's vision uh, increasingly more and more became about worship and prayer. Um, now, we had always bucked up against that, uh, you know, when we were smaller and these other executive level guys that of which I was one of. You know, we, we weren't all for that. We were like, no, you know, God's doing more than just that. But as time grew, what that uh, apostolic leader had envisioned became more and more what the church was um, to the point where I suddenly found myself outside of that going, I don't know how I fit anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like what I have to contribute is being valued. And then I was, sort of felt like I was the bad guy for not feeling valued. Um, and I, and I saw this happen with a number of people, uh, along with like a lot of promises being made and then those promises being reneged on. And then, uh, that apostolic leader saying, well, I never made that promise and sort of rewriting wow. history. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was sort of what I began to see happen and just, yeah, I just saw people hurting yeah. and I myself was hurting mm-hmm. and, and not and really struggling to figure out why I was not happy there. Yeah. So. Well, why wouldn't you be? I mean, God is at work. Their church is growing like crazy. I mean, yeah, I, I could see how, you know, if I don't feel great in this situation, yeah. it I must be the problem. That's if the a, church is growing so big, I'm the problem. So. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but that's exactly yeah. right. I'm still, and, and just so you know, and for anybody listening, I'm still processing a lot of this. Like yeah. I'm not, I don't have it quite all figured out. Uh, but to the best of what I can describe, like I've since leaving, I've learned a great deal about ecclesiology and church governance. You know, I, I um, read a book by Mark Devers called "The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church." Yeah. That was incredibly impactful. Yeah. Did uh, you find any of those marks of healthy churches? No, not quite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's Sadly. always a little alarming, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure people would, you know, it's easy to go, well, you you got hurt and scorned on some level, and so, of course, you're latching onto the thing that says the opposite of the church yeah. that you were a part of, right? 
Um, but that Devers book really helped me make sense of some stuff. Uh, I also read uh, Martin Luther by Eric Metaxas mm-hmm. and saw, you know, saw so many similarities between my church and the papal system of the you know oh, 1400s. Okay. Uh, how there's one guy at the top, that person makes the decisions, and you know if you're in any way questioning, mm-hmm. then you're the bad guy, you're the heretic, and. And so instead of, and I, and I realized this about a lot of, of the churches that I was looking at, you know, instead of having uh, a plurality of elders where, where there's uh, mutual respect and accountability, you've got one person at the top. Mm-hmm. So instead of it being like the Catholic church, we have one Pope, it's yeah. like many churches with many papacies. Yeah. Little mini no, papacies. That's, so that's a good way to put things. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I don't know how far into the story you want me to go. Well, I was going to kind I of mean, let you lead the questions and maybe yeah. I, I don't know. No, I think that, um, I mean, obviously you've mentioned that you left, left the yeah. church. Can like share what kind of led up to that and then True. that experience? Yeah, so I, I started confronting that leader about a lot of things. Uh, I would hear stories about people's pain and I would say, hey, this wasn't right. We didn't deal with this right. We need to own this. And it was sort of one of these things where it was like, oh, we owned it as best as we could, and or we did whatever, and it, it just it felt like what I was saying wasn't being heard, mm-hmm. and and I was trying to address ways in which people were mishandled, yeah. and I think the leader just felt like all I had to say were criticisms and things like that, and I don't think I was quite aware that these were actually just little symptoms of a bigger problem. And I was pulling in those symptoms, and this person felt uh, sort of under the microscope with me. And when I f- saw one of the major leaders leave, um, the one who, who sort of oversaw the music, and uh, I watched his position get taken from him and handed to somebody else, and then him leave, and and as be told, yeah, he's just not a team player. Mm-hmm. When I sat down and heard his story, it was like he he was in the middle of a meeting, and his job gets taken from him. And he's asked to do something else. And he's like, but I don't feel called to do that. I, I like doing what I was doing. Why are you taking this way? Well, it's just not for you anymore. You know, there's there's a bigger plan that God has for that ministry. Uh, and, then it, and then it unilateral got- unilateral decision and- Yeah, yeah. When we had a CEO that was a part of it who who was sort of like the, the enforcer for the apostolic leader. Okay. And that CEO was like, are you going to submit to the vision yeah. of this church? And he was like, no, I'm out. Like, you know, he, yeah. he didn't say that, but he was sort of listening to this going, this is crazy. And yeah. basically he found another job and left. And then the narrative was, well, he just moved on. Um, not too soon after that. So I, I listened to his story and I was like, I believe you. Mm-hmm. Like, I wholeheartedly believe you. I, I, he was saying stuff like, you know, the apostolic leader wasn't listening. I'm like, I've experienced that um, on a number of occasions. And, uh, you know, the apostolic leader would assume to know my motivation. I was like, oh, I've experienced that. Mm-hmm. Like he would presume to know my motivation. And when I would tell him, that's actually not why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. It would, wouldn't be believed. And so then the CEO, who was a friend of mine, uh, who, who, you know, was doing the, you need to submit, mm-hmm. um, he left. Oh. And I'm going, what on earth is going on? And then I talked to the, the former CEO and He's same thing. He wouldn't listen, and then and then I'm saying, 
okay? And then he's like, you know, having conversations with him, like, I can't believe I did what I did to to the, the guy who was overseeing the music. He's like, it's my biggest regret that I told him you need to submit. Well, the apostolic leader just watched that happen and said nothing. Yeah. I mean, it was, he was getting his way at the end of the day. Mm. And um, suddenly these people that I love are gone and they're hurting and I'm hurting. And I'm thinking, this can't go on. He's got to be confronted. Mm. And I remember even praying about it and hearing from the Lord. uh, And I just like a little thought in my head, not like a big booming voice or some Mm -hmm. sort of angelic visitation or anything like that. Yeah. But I, f- I remember hearing the Lord say, Michael, if you do this, you're going to lose your job. And I said, well, Lord, isn't it the right thing to do? Shouldn't I confront? Mm-hmm. And there was no answer. It was just sort of a knowing, okay. All right. So I, I wrote an email confronting this leader about several things, um, questions about us. We don't seem to have any discipleship there's no, doesn't seem like a an evangelistic. There's no uh, plan to to fulfill the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. We used to have stuff like that, but we didn't anymore. Because it was all prayer, like and prayer and worship. Yeah, yeah. the vi- the vision became so narrow that suddenly other things that are biblical and important and and seem, I mean, especially today, I'd say this: yeah. we're not allowed to compromise those things. Um, we're no longer. Th- seemed to be important. It was all about prayer and worship. Uh, confronted him about that. Confronted him um, about promises that he'd made and not fulfilled. Confronted him about him not listening. And I gave some examples of some pretty serious allegations that I brought forward and it got immediately dismissed. Um, and then um, I'm trying to remember all of it. Um, uh, problems about the board that I was on, the sort of elder board. And my, my confrontation about that board was um, none of these boards, none of the members on this board have any decision-making power. Yeah. We're all just glorified counselors. Mm. And I don't feel listened to anyways. So maybe I shouldn't be on this board because it doesn't seem to matter at all. Yeah. So the response to that was, you just don't trust me. And that was really hard for me because I actually did trust that person a great deal. I just thought he might have a blind spot. And as his friend, I need to let him know this. And from that day forward, it was just like, it was exactly what I had thought. If you do this, you're gonna lose your job. And so my little by little, my authority was stripped. I was on the teaching faculty. I would travel from one church to the other to teach. Um, Not all the time, but whenever it was convenient and whenever it was needed. And, um, I teach a message at the main church, the first one we planted, and uh, one of the others comes up to me and says, that was the best message I've ever heard you preach. Mm-hmm. I sit down with that ap- apostolic leader to continue to try to work through things, and he says, what you're teaching is really for only people who have left you know, hard Calvinist churches and that kind of thing. And I, I was like, oh, that's that's." That's yeah. an interesting observation. That's actually not at all what I was addressing. Yeah. But okay. And then he started talking about prayer and worship and how what he was teaching on prayer and worship was the tip of the spear of what God wanted to do in that church. Mm. And I was thinking that's awfully convenient that my message was sort of rubbish for our community and not needed, but yeah. your message is absolutely what's needed. Um, 
So I was removed from that, which was just a huge blow to me because it's something I valued a great deal. And, yeah. and I felt I felt in that moment like, what do I, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I get back in your good graces so I can do the things I love again? And so it was just a, a miserable experience. And um, around the same time, I get a phone call um, where I'm being told, you're talking about me. And I, I say, what? what do you mean by that? Like, I'm talking, okay. Oh, actually, I didn't say what I mean, but I, I said, okay. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I definitely have talked about him. Like, I I heard that story of my friend who had been, his job had been taken from him and he basically left. Yeah. Yeah, I've been talking about you. I've been hearing yeah. some not so good stuff. You know, like, mm-hmm. I didn't say that. I'm just thinking in my head, like, yeah, he's right. I have been talking about him. He's like, yeah, and you're dishonoring me. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, Oh, and I, I was just so confused by that statement because I was trying to think like, is that what I've been doing? Have I been trying to punish him by by spreading rumors or, or gossiping and, yeah. and just trying to let people know all the bad things he's doing so that I can somehow make him look bad? And like, I just couldn't, I, I didn't know what he was talking about. I'm like, man, I'm sure in my hurt I have. Yeah. So I just, I just listened to it and... um he was saying, you know, there was a, a guy I was trying to hire, and when I tried to hire him, he overrid my decision. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was like, I, again, I, I felt like I could do nothing right. And so in that conversation, after he said, you're dishonoring me, he says, I feel okay with hiring that person in this next year, um, but I don't know about you moving into the next year. And I'm thinking to myself, Okay, you're okay with moving with this, moving forward with this person into the new year. You're not okay with me in the new year. And he goes, "That's right." And I go, "That sounds serious." He goes, "It's very serious." Ugh. And I'm thinking to myself, "What in the heck does that mean? Like, are you threatening my job?" So from that day forward, I was like determined to keep my nose to the ground and just do the best I could to find another job. Yeah. Um. And. It's kind of hard to look though, right? Like, I mean, if you're... Yeah, if you're pastor of church. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to, to look without like giving away some of that situation. Because sure. people want to know, Yeah, you know, and why would you want to leave? Why what You know, what's wrong? <laughs> yeah, so that was in like in October, November of 2018. Mm-hmm. In December of 2018, my wife has a dream... And in the dream, uh, I'm fired from the job, mm. and she is just irate and so upset. Yeah. And she wakes up, and she says this to me. And I think she thought we would still, on some level, just coexist. And surely this is just, uh, you know, the Lord revealing to her that things aren't going super well, you know. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, yeah, I'm getting fired. Like, that's going to happen. Mm. Uh and I'm thinking to myself, my God has done this to prepare my wife for what's inevitably coming down. Even though my wife doesn't see it that way, she doesn't see like, this is really going to happen. Yeah. I see it. Um, and so I, I didn't mention this, but the board that I was on, the, the one I was confronting the leader about, gets disbanded by the leader. Mm. And then a new board gets created, and I get a phone call and end of January um, of 2019, and I get, uh, and in the phone call, he says, Hey, 
I want to bring the new board that I've created into our conflict. And he goes, because you're dishonoring me and you're talking about me. And at this point, I'm just like, okay. And I'm going to counseling. I'm trying to make sense of my world. I'm trying to figure out, am I the one who's the problem? Like, have I just just so dishonored him? Am I causing disunity? Do I deserve to be fired? Mm -hmm. Um, And... Is this my rejection issues from having been abandoned as a kid, and and now I'm feeling rejected again? And you know, you just, you go through all those things trying to figure out, like, you know, what in me is is the issue, or is it is it not me? Mm-hmm. Is it something else external? And the counselor was doing the best that she could to help me uh, think positively. Like, hey, he wants to bring the new elder board into conversation mm-hmm. to help us work through our problems. That seems like a positive. You need to be thinking that way. Yeah. And so I, I'm like, okay. So I just start to prep my heart to to enter into this. I'm like, maybe maybe this is a good thing. Maybe we are going to be reconciled. Maybe I'll finally be heard, and someone will hear my side of the story, and and will hold him accountable nice. for some of the yeah. stuff, right? And I, so I um I get an email from the new elder board, one of the elders on the new elder board, saying, hey, we want to talk to you. We we know about the conflict between the two of you. We want to sit down and and have a conversation about that. So awesome. So I, I call him up and I say, hey, I just want to be really clear about what we're talking about. What is this mm-hmm. meeting for? So this meeting is about reconciliation and restoration. I go, okay. Nice. I, I, he, I go, cool. Am, am I going to be heard? Like, yeah. He's like, yes. And, and he goes, this is an abortive yes men. So, so good. You guys have real authority to make decisions. Like, absolutely. Mm. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, so then we plan to have this meeting on February 17th. On February 16th, I get a an email from one of the other elders saying, Michael, we want to be really clear on this. This is a meeting about your future. We don't want to talk about the past. We just want to talk about what it looks like for you to move into 2019 uh, with this community. Mm. So I'm thinking, well, that's a really strange thing. How are we going to reconcile and be restored if we can't talk about the past? So I start going, maybe this isn't what I think it is, but no, no, the other elder said, this is about restoration, reconciliation. Okay, that, that didn't change. I, um, so then we go to the meeting, my wife and I, and the apostolic leader, the one I had the conflict with, he wasn't in the meeting. And the reason he wasn't in the meeting was because they wanted to hear my side of the story, at least that's what I thought. And so um, I'm sitting down and... They say, Michael, we we set the ground rules. We don't talk about the past. We want to talk about the future. Uh, we really feel like this itinerant ministry you have, where you train and teach in other churches and train on the gifts, is really where you're called. And uh, and we want to launch you into ministry. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give you a three month salary, just just like the salary you have right now. And then uh, and then after that, we're probably going to you know have you come in and teach in our school and teach on occasion. Um, uh, but as of today, you'll no longer be the pastor of the church you're overseeing. And my wife grabs my hand and we're both just like, here it goes. And I said, uh, guys in the real world, they call this getting fired, getting a three month severance. And then you wanted to contract me afterwards. Yeah. And they go, oh, well, that's not what this is. And I go, no, that's exactly what this is. Well, we're sorry you feel that way. (laughs) And I go... Uh, and my wife, you know, 
she's shocked. I go, is this a, a foregone conclusion? Because I thought you wanted to talk about the future, but it sounds like you've already made a decision of what my future will be. And they go, no, we haven't done that. We just decided what your future won't be. And I, I'm going, this is just religious language. Like in my head, I know, I know I'm being, you know, I don't know what the word would be. Um, Reassigned or. <laughs> I, I mean, it just, it's all yeah. like, you know, I don't have a. It's a lot of semantics. Like I only have an expletive to explain what that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's speaking around things. And I think in the religious world, we can, we have a lot of euphemisms for stuff and we can call things a lot of nicer things when they're, you know, they just, they're calling it, they're cloaking all of this bad news in religious language and making it sound like if you're not on board, then you're not, you know, following the Lord. And yeah. they're putting, they're turning it back on, on you. And that's, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, yeah, there's a lot to this. Yeah. Um, so my wife goes, am I fired too? And oh, they, your wife worked there. Yeah. And they go, what do you mean? And she goes, I'm the administrator for the church. They go, oh, we didn't know that. And I said, no, you guys don't know anything. None of you go to my church. None of you, you, you literally haven't heard any of my story. You have no idea what's going on here. And it became pretty apparent. They, they thought on some level that I knew I was being let go, yeah. going into the meeting. Mm. And, you know, the I said, well, I, hey, I deserve to know if you're firing me, why am I being fired? Yeah. And again, they, they refused to use that word with me. They yeah. just, it was one of those, and they, you know, the, the things I heard were, you know, just two different visions. You just have a different vision. And I was like, they never told me what my vision was. Yeah. I didn't even know what my vision was you other than. I had a different vision. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um. And then I was told, you know, really, you should just go be a professor at a university. Which and I thought they said you were supposed to be a like itinerant. Yeah, professor. well, those are the things they thought. I they thought, you know, what they were really saying is we don't really want a teacher in the church. Yeah. We just want a different kind of thing in the church. So, mm -hmm. um, we left the meeting. We we left the church. We didn't even show up to church. You know, we were just like, okay, we're out. See you later. I think they were surprised by that. I think they thought that I would go back to my church and just quietly be there and attend and continue attending the church as a whole, it, which is just like, it's sort of ludicrous. It is, especially considering that this guy with the accusations didn't even show up to the meeting. And that, that's, they, he did that, a very intentional thing, not so you would be heard. Well, I, yeah. he, he tried to play it off like he didn't know they were going to do that. Yeah. And my wife, he, my wife ran into him, and he, when he tried to play it off, she's like, "No, no, you knew exactly what was going to yeah. happen." And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, I knew." And then, but then he's never acknowledged that since then. Yeah. Um. And and so I was just gone. Um. I heard from some of the leaders in the church I was overseeing that they called a meeting together with the main core group from that church, told them that they tried to kick the bird out of the nest, and that he was offended and left the church. There's so much controlling of the narrative. Like this yeah. single leader with a tribe of yes men or whatever, you know, there's just so much need to make sure that their side is what's portrayed in it. I mean, it, 
I, I'm sorry. I, I keep interrupting you. No, I'm no, it's just fine. Like... You should interrupt me because I, I <laughs> you know, I, I don't want it to come off like a bitter story because it's not like I'm not there today and, and there's still pain. There's still hurt. And I'm not going to lie. There's still bitterness, you know, yeah. um, but I've done the best I can to move forward. And again, that guy has a, his own world going on. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he was doing the best he knew to protect yeah. what he felt like God had given him. And I, truthfully, that's the the really ironic part is I yeah. think he was trying to be as faithful to God as he knew how to be. Yeah. And that I represented uh, a problem to him being faithful. Yeah. And I again, I, I think it boils down to not so much like his heart in the matter, although I think there was some some cowardice involved. And But overall, uh, I, I think he was ignorant about the narrowness of his vision and how unbiblical his vision was. Yeah. And that, that really is it, is... This idea that you can have a church vision that would actually exclude people from belonging in the church, yeah, where their gifts will never be utilized. It is. It is First uh, Corinthians twelve. You know, the, I cannot right. say to the hand, I have no need of you, and essentially that's what he was saying: is I have no need of you. To again, to his credit, he thought he was doing what was best for the vision he felt like God had given him. Mm-hmm. And I would just tell you that a church doesn't get to make up its own vision. Jesus yeah. already has a vision for the church. Yeah. He, he's already given his mm-hmm. vision, the Great Commission, the Great Commandments. Yeah. And we don't get a choice to to have anything that would exclude that as our focus. So, yeah. And absolutely, we should be a place of prayer and worship. Mm-hmm. We should also be a place where the Great Commission is fulfilled. We should also be a place that's equipping and training yeah. and empowering others and uh, letting every gift have a place to be utilized. So, Yeah, I think when you look at the life of Jesus and his disciples— I mean, he was, that was church happening all the time and they were, you know, growing the church. And so, I mean, he didn't just walk around and, you know, sing worship songs all the time and pray all the time. I mean, there was so many different aspects. And if we say that parts of those aren't important. Well, and, and to be clear, he never yeah. said those parts weren't important. No, but I'm saying, uh, well, the the leader is saying this is the emphasis and we're, yes. we don't want to. Yeah. And so we don't see Jesus excluding any of these other things or um, yeah certainly not no absolutely not he's not inclu- just excluding any of those yeah and i i don't think this leader realized that that's actually what he was doing okay. and, and i don't think he would say that today but i don't know maybe it's his heart's changed on it yeah. but he's never said that to me like he's never owned that uh nor acknowledged that that's what was happening mm. so um we did try to have a, a reconciliation meeting about a month later and uh, mediated by one of those elders and it didn't go well. It was, uh, you know, I, I think a good bit of gaslighting to the same kind of thing. You're dishonoring me. You've been talking about me. Yeah. Uh, the way you're thinking about things is not right. Mm-hmm. You're calling yourself a founder. You didn't, you were not a founder. Um, which was such a strange thing to tell me in that meeting. Uh, yeah. Like, why does that matter? Like, yeah. really, I just lost my job. Like, come on, man. Like, I don't know. It was just so, such a weird thing. So. Yeah. And. There's the dog. There you go. Get a little pop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, I think that with a lot of. Um, what we're discussing, I I guess the point in going into some of the detail of the hurt is, and I hope that this is what comes across for other people, is that um, 
if anyone else is going through something similar, if they start to recognize these sort of tendencies in their in their church and and hopefully church leaders, they're seeing, okay, this could be problematic. And you know, especially as you you know describe this single leader who everything goes through, mm-hmm. and um, so much focus on that person that can be really dangerous. But the the main thing that I want people to walk away from this is to see that you know, we are going to walk through really challenging stuff. And this was, I mean, I, I don't know your whole life story, but I would guess this is probably one of the hardest things you've ever had to go through. If oh, you're yeah. years later, still kind of unpacking all of it and understanding it. I mean, it's had a profound impact on you and I'm sure on your family. Um, how how has your, your wife dealt with all of this? Yeah. I mean, she was heartbroken. We both were. Um we were just suddenly gone, and this just sounds awful. Like I feel like I'm just telling all about the pain and, and the story, and and I don't want to emphasize that because I need to say again, God has been incredibly good to us. Yeah. Like there's so many things that He's done to redeem our story, and and give meaning to the pain. Right. Um. And and I've said this a lot to to my church today. Like God doesn't stop the pain from coming. He just makes sure that it's meaningful if we'll let it be. Like mm-hmm. if we'll walk through that pain, he'll give meaning to it all and it'll be worth it in the end. And I, I've seen that. I'm on the other side of that. I've seen him redeem it. I'm so happy about where we are today. And yeah. so I don't want to fail to mention that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, it was suddenly we were out. We were in a just a world of confusion. Um, my My best friend at the time took the job that I had which was hard as well. Mm. Like, so they, they got rid of me and they replaced me with my best friend. Um, and that's been hard on the relationship there. Um, because I I love him a great deal. And so at some level it's taking a side, even though that's not what he intended to do. And, you know, it's a side, I think on some level he'll always have to to remain silent about how he really feels because he's trying to do the best he can to preserve everything. Right. And so that's been difficult. And I think she, my wife, has seen that happen with a number of people who watched that happen and then didn't reach out, didn't call, didn't, not, not to say there was nobody. We had some friends who did. Yeah. And um, when they, when the church was told about us being removed, they, they said it was a Paul and Barnabas thing. We just had to go our separate ways. Mm-hmm. And there were a number of people who who got up and walked out of the church when that happened, and that that was that was meaningful to us because yeah. it meant they knew they could see through it. And and the fact is, everybody could, but not everybody's willing to call it what it is. Yeah. Because on some level, they want to preserve the life they have for their family and the church they have for their family, mm-hmm. and I get that. Um, but that was hard to see, and and so then. About three months into this, um, my wife goes to the dermatologist and finds out uh, that she has cancer. She has melanoma. Um, and that scared the living, like, again, I'll have her expletives to say, <laughs> but out of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we just entered a dark little abyss of a world and we're just so incredibly lonely for about three months. Um, yeah, 
I was, that was the hardest thing in the world because um, I love my wife and the thought of that being her not recovering, because you don't know, you get the word cancer and it just sounds like a death sentence. That's yeah. all you hear. And and the, the dermatologist wasn't super helpful to us letting us know like, hey, we can get past this. There's not like that yeah. kind of thing. So, you know, you get this and... and all I'm thinking about is my three-year-old and one-year-old growing up without their mom. Yeah. And it's like, I knew if I, if I lost my wife, I, I'd be okay. Like, I love my wife. It would, it would grieve me greatly. Yeah. But the thought of my kids not having that was heartbreaking. Yeah. And my wife was scared and, um, you know, she was asking the same questions you know, what about my kids? God, it's not right for them. And, mm-hmm. um, and so we just, we did what the dermatologist said and just kind of tried to get through life. And, you know, we had some friends that were supportive, but it was just a very scary season and we felt so alone in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And, and then, it was painful as the leaders that had us fired, they knew like we had to call them because they stopped paying our insurance bill uh, and they were supposed to continue that. And that was part of the promise in the severance package. And I think there must've been some oversight that needless to say, I was not nice to them when I called them and found out they hadn't paid insurance and my wife had cancer. Right. So, yeah. um, but, but what was painful was they, they didn't call and offer any condolences. There was nothing. It was like, 10 years in ministry with these people and nothing. Um, so, you know, it, it was that time in our lives where we just had to take every day as it was. Mm-hmm. And my wife probably hugged on our kids a little bit more yeah. and to the point where they were uncomfortable. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you, you can use them for comfort in a way that you shouldn't and uh, had to be very careful about that. But it was hard. Um, and then we, we, we knew in that moment, like, yes, we just experienced some serious church hurt, but it wasn't, we didn't blame church. Like we, we knew God is good. We knew the church is good. Um, I've gone through enough real bad pain in my life to know that God is good despite the pain that comes my way. And that while he may not have caused that pain, he is so incredibly capable of redeeming it. Mm Uh, and giving meaning to it, that you could be deceived into thinking he caused it because of how good it worked out after the fact, right? Yeah. So I've seen him write those stories. And so this was just another one of those stories that God was going to redeem. Mm-hmm. And that carried me through it. And I think it's on some level allowed me not to be uh, overcome with the bitterness and anger. Um, and so we we did through the procedures and we wait on the results and they say, hey, we think we got it. And my wife's got this just gigantic scar on her arm of where they removed and just filleted her skin. Um, And they keep taking little chunks out of her, you know, every few months. And that's really scary. Um, But as we know of today, she she does not have cancer and she has not had melanoma since then. Now, she's had some precancerous stuff and we have to be incredibly careful with her when it comes to sun exposure and she just got that kind of skin. So... um, we started attending a church. It's a mega church, which is the last place we wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew the pastor, and and I loved the pastor. Like I genuinely loved him. He had a humble heart, uh, and and so we would just go there and we would worship and we would cry 
and my wife would just let me hold her and she would hold me and yeah. <laughs> uh it was amazing how like I watched her go through this and the resilience and there was a strength that she displayed in the midst of all of this that just like I'm she is a hero like she really yeah. is she's one of the most impressive women I've ever met in my life and I didn't know that when I married her yeah. I was so uninformed about how incredibly awesome she really is um and so god just began to pick the pieces of this little broken life back up and um the church the mega church started uh utilizing us to start training and uh complimenting us on on what we were doing and how we were contributing to the church and they let us have a place to heal and let us have a place to to love be loved and i mean they just it was amazing how quickly we developed a new little family there. And then when the day came to leave and move back to Colorado where we plant our church, mm-hmm. um, how they sent us off and they financially supported us. And wow. we we had, you know, really five months to get to know them. And it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and to this day, like they all call us and they come out to visit us and uh, they want us down there all the time. And I just... I wish they. I hope they listen to this because they have done such incredible work of loving uh, some very hurt people. And uh, and the lead pastor, when I went to go plant, I asked him, I "Was like, am, am I okay to do this? Like, am I uh, healthy?" And right, he, you know, he was like, "Bro, you got this. You'd be great." And which was helpful for me because yeah. I didn't want to go plant something out of a gigantic wound in my heart and just end up hurting other people and. And so, and the thing he kept saying is it's really important to know that you're, 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 he would say this about his own story. Like he, he was building a church for some time, uh, around what he didn't want to be. And that was unhealthy. And at some point he made the shift of, no, 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 I'm building, I'm going somewhere. I'm building something that I will, where I I want to be rather than where I don't want to be. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's the shift we had to make as well is we're not building this as an act of rebellion of where we were, but because we actually still believe in the church as a vehicle with which God wants to redeem the world. So Man, that's that's beautiful. I mean, there's so many layers to God's redemption and that and just seeing the church or this particular body be the church in so many ways in that story. And um I mean it's yeah, crazy the contrast yeah. between that and the church that you spent so long at five months, ten years <laughs> And the difference in the ways that you were sent off, yeah, yeah, and and just seeing God's goodness in, um, and not to say that, that the church is perfect at all, yeah, no. But, I mean, yeah. I learned a lot about healthy church at that time. I mean, there was just there was so much, and again, God did some pretty amazing things yeah. uh, to get us to where we are today. <laughs> yeah, do you want to share one of those things? Uh, sure. Yeah. So. You know, I had that reconciliation meeting that just went awful, and uh, and after that meeting, I was supposed to be on a date with my wife, and again, I was so gaslighted, I was in my head and just super confused, mm-hmm. thinking, man, I, what have I just done to my family? Yeah. You know, like, I just lost my income, my wife lost her income, we lost her community, like, I must just be the worst person alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I'm in my head, I'm telling her, listen, I'm so sorry. This is not your fault. 
and you don't deserve this. You deserve to have all of my attention, but I'm super in my head and I don't know how present I'll be tonight. Yeah. Can we be okay with that? And can you be okay with that? And she was like, yeah. And she could see it. She mm-hmm. could see the sort of the haze. And we went somewhere an hour away from where we live and it made no sense to go there. Yeah. It just, I just, I just was adamant that we go there and I couldn't even tell you why. Mm-hmm. And we're walking around and I'm thinking, wouldn't it be weird if we ran into this lady who's this prophetic woman I know? Yeah. You know, she would work in the area, but it was nighttime. She wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and I said that to my wife and we literally walked around the whole square. I went to every restaurant, nothing felt right. Mm-hmm. And then we went to the very last restaurant on the block and I walk in and, and there's that woman sitting at the bar having a glass of wine and uh, she looks over at me and my wife, and she says, well, this is a divine moment. Wow. And I'm looking at my wife, and I know it's a divine moment because I just said, wouldn't it be weird if we ran into yeah. her? <laughs> and, my, and Sarah goes, uh, Sarah looks at me, and, and, and we both just have this sort of stunned look on our face. And, and I'm saying, I go, why do you say that? And she goes, well, it's my birthday. I'm supposed to be out with my husband. He got a flat tire on the way to come pick me up. Mm-hmm. And so here I am having a glass of wine and ordering takeout. Yeah. And I was complaining to God and saying, God, what am I doing here? It's my birthday. <laughs> and then she said, and then you just randomly popped into my mind. And then no more than a minute later, you walk through the door. Wow. She goes, so what are you doing here? How's, how's it going? And I, I started to tear up and so does Sarah. And I, I said, well, you just happened to catch me on one of my wor- worst days of my life. Mm-hmm. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I just got fired from my job. Mm-hmm. And she goes, from the, the church? I go, yeah. And she goes, listen, honey, this is the Lord. He's kicking you out of the nest. You were too loyal and you would have never left. Mm-hmm. And I just start bawling. Yeah. And the reason that was so meaningful is because one of the things that we had heard that the church said to the leaders was, we tried to kick the bird out yeah. of the nest and he was offended and left. And it was as if God was flipping the script and saying, those words that were used to hurt you, no, I'm the one doing this. And if I'm the one doing it, you can guarantee that it's going to work out well. And not only were you not offended and left, you were too loyal yeah. and you needed to go. And so it was actually him affirming a good quality about me rather than a bad quality about me, uh, which was the narrative that they were giving. Um, And throughout that time, like my wife gets cancer, we're recovering, we're at this other church. I had six other prophetic people reach out to me. Mm -hmm. Um, None of them knew my story. None of them knew one another. At least uh, some of them might have known, but they never knew the details. Most of them didn't know each other. And they all kept saying the same thing. Michael, God is kicking you out of the nest. (laughs) They said that. It got comical. I would tell my buddies, uh, the guys I was doing the remnant radio with, uh, uh, Josh Lewis, I I would come back with a new story, like you're never going to believe what I heard today. And he goes, let me guess. God's (laughs) kicking you out of the nest. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So... uh, like I said, there was this sort of beautiful thing in the midst of it where God was stepping into that world. He didn't remove the pain. He didn't stop the pain, but he stepped right into it and let me know his thoughts in the midst of it and sort of gave me exactly what I needed to kind of carry on. 
and has done that ever since. Um, the new church plant, I just give you some of this. We move back to Colorado. I don't believe anybody's going to show up. I, I don't even know how to start a church. Like I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? I should be taking some sort of course in church planting. I should be, you know, yeah, there's a lot to that. Um, but there was a church that we were friends with that wanted to get behind us. And even before they were willing to get behind us, they, they called the elders from my former church uh, to find out their side of the story. And they sat down and heard my side of the story. And they said, Michael, we want to go forward with you. I thought nobody would want to move forward with me. I thought I was the bad guy, you know, like yeah. at least, or at least that's the perspective that would be given. And uh, at the end of the day, the elders of this church just think that they weren't, they didn't value me. They didn't value the gifts. They, they were yeah. exactly what I said, too narrow-minded in their vision and bound to hurt people like me. Um, and so they got behind us and, uh, you know, we're sort of an oversight so I wouldn't be rogue on my own and still my elder oversight until we have a local plurality, mm -hmm. true plurality of yeah. elders established, okay. uh, which is the only uh, ecclesiology I want to be a part of. Right. Um, and then uh, had no money. Uh, we actually had somebody give $50,000 and that $50,000 got stolen from us oh right off the bat. So imagine imagine that, like oh you, you move your family, you have no yeah. salary coming in and you think there's 50,000 to plant and then somebody basically steals it and you go, oh gosh. But the funny thing was it was so, that was nothing to me. Like, yeah. you know, what was hard was the 10 year relationship suddenly gone and a church mm -hmm. firing me like the 50,000 meant nothing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I didn't raise money, not a, like I didn't raise, I didn't go anywhere to do a fundraising campaign. I mean, mm -hmm. by and large, money just came in and I was able to do my church plant and uh, have a salary, never miss a paycheck, yeah. not a single paycheck. Miss, yeah. But not only that, but we planted at the beginning of COVID. So we met for three weeks <laughs> and then literally had to shut it down. Oh and so for the first year, it was just 20 of us and just became a little family and it was lovely. And it was sort of more of that time we needed to heal mm -hmm. and never missed a paycheck. <laughs> and, uh, and then this, then, you know, COVID sort of wanes down and, and now we've been growing. Like we've doubled in size since January, which isn't saying much because when you're only 20 people doubling, it's not much, but, yeah. but there has been a significant growth and, uh, what's amazing to me is the the caliber of people that are surrounding us. They're just incredible, mm -hmm. and and we've been very honest about our pain, and yeah. and they've just let us be us and let us heal, and still love us and want to be with us and follow us, and mm -hmm. um, and it's I wouldn't trade what we've learned in all of this as well. Like I just don't I don't care about the celebrity status that I once had, and and yeah. I give a flip about anybody else's celebrity status and yeah. um, I don't care about it being a big thing like I've been a part of a big thing and that's okay like it, it is what it is it can be good um, but whether our this little community that we have becomes that or not doesn't matter to me I just want it to be healthy mm -hmm. and I want it to be a place where I know my kids will hear the gospel and it'll be healthy for them yeah. and so it's just been a beautiful little redemption story and I'm very excited. I miss being with them tonight. They're meeting without me right now. Aww. So uh, 
I'm just talking a whole lot. I hope I mean, that's the point of this, right? No, it's like, it's just get out of here and I start sharing. And you're you're good. And I have I've loved hearing everything you've had to say about um, the redemption side because I think that's the main purpose in all of my podcast. I yeah. feel like is you know we all are going to go through really difficult stuff and walking out on the other side, seeing God's faithfulness is it's it's everything. I mean, it's why we don't grieve without hope we have hope and um so i've just loved hearing it i appreciate you so much just sharing um i want you to tell people where they can connect with you yeah um there's a few things well obviously we've got reclamation church um Oh, that's probably not the best way to connect because that really is for the church. Like people, <laughs> yeah. I I get a lot of emails coming in asking for prayer, and mm-hmm. I just I literally can't keep up with all of them. Yeah, and so I'm trying to to get people to to leave that for the church itself. Yeah. Um. Although people are always welcome to come visit, and we love praying for the sick and things like sure. that. Um. Uh, I do have a, a podcast that I'm a part of called The Remnant Radio, which is right. where I guess where you uh-huh. sort of figure out who I was. Yeah. Um. And that's that's sort of a interesting little place of dialogue where we we take different pastors and theologians and uh, speakers and we try to discuss orthodox issues in theology mm-hmm. and varying sides of those orthodox issues. So we would love to have an Arminian, uh, love to have a Calvinist, we'd love to have a Lutheran, an Anglican, yeah. Episcopalian, evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. We just try to get all of the 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 spectrum. Uh, and dialogue in the most ecumenical way we know how. We also try to call out things that are like, you know, hey, this is really unhealthy. We would avoid this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is we're, we're really discussing the gifts of the Spirit in a way that's not Pentecostal yeah. uh, and not cessationist mm-hmm. um, and trying to be that middle of the road, like here's the most biblical we, way we know to health, to practice the gifts in a healthy manner in the church. So important. Yeah, so I do a show on Wednesdays, and um, that's a that's another good way to get a hold of us and and see more of what we're doing. And you can find that on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Everywhere yeah, else. just type YouTube. in the the Remnant Radio. Oh, the Remnant the Radio. The okay. definite article. It might have been a little arrogant and presumptuous of us, but <laughs> uh, and, and the irony is we we don't have a radio program. Yes, <laughs> there's nothing radio about it. It's um, video, but yeah. Yeah, so there's that, and then I have a ministry called Thomas Ministries which is sort of uh, the platform that I use to speak in other churches and do missions and things like that. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time. And we didn't even share this, but you know, the way that you and I kind of were brought together is pretty cool. I just watched your interview the other day and literally emailed you. And then you're like, I'm going to be in the in your area in a couple of days. Yeah, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, 20 minutes away. So I just think that's another level of like God just being really kind and just allowing this this meeting to happen. I I, I know you've been busy on your your trip down here. You came to do work, and I um, appreciate you taking the time this evening well, to then, talk. No, this is this is important stuff. I I believe my story is going to be redeemed, right? Like that's yeah. the part of it. It gives meaning to it. So well, I thank you for your time. Yeah, of course. Walking with Jesus, we are never promised an easy road, but we can be certain that we're never alone. God is working good from even the worst situations, and He's using the hurt that others cause to help us to later be a blessing to others. You can find Michael Miller on theremnantradio.com or on YouTube by searching The Remnant Radio. Thanks so much for listening. 
I pray that this episode was an encouragement to you. If you love the Faithful Podcast, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, make sure you remember to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. You can find me on Instagram at Faithful Podcast or at faithfulpodcast.podbean.com. Have a great week and remember to stay faithful, friends.